Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. All right, friends, we are back with Kathy Justi. So excited to go through the 12 steps that you need to take from diagnosis all the way through. Let's hear from Kathy. This part I'm really excited about. And I, I really had to be careful with part one of this episode because I didn't want to ask stuff that was going to, um, you know, move into part two because part two is really about um, the steps that you have to take when you're diagnosed. And I really thought that this was such an important thing, like I said, that you did for people because it's really hard to know what to do. Mm-hmm. No one gives you a playbook on how to deal with crisis and how to deal with health. And you just did. So thank you for that. Um, we're going to start with step one, understanding the diagnosis. What is the importance of understanding this diagnosis? And why was this step one? Understanding the diagnosis is important because it's not like somebody calls you and says, you have this. It's not always so specific. They usually call you and they say, we suspect X, Y, or Z. And so you're left wondering, well, what do I have? And usually what happens, they have to do additional testing. Like in multiple myeloma, they have to do a bone marrow biopsy and look at that and decide whether you really have it. There's other blood tests they do to confirm the diagnosis. So it's really about that confirmatory process where you're trying to be patient. You don't know what you have yet, but you're hearing all kinds of words that are kind of encouraging you to get right to your computer and start doing some research. So how can people educate themselves? on their specific type of cancer? So the way to do this is now what we realize is 60% of patients now get this information on their portal before the doctor does. Yeah, That's I do. Number. Yeah, so you now what happens is you go in, you're doing some testing, you may not even suspect anything, or you might. And now all of a sudden you get an you know email pops in, you know, while you're busy doing work or whatever, you're like, oh, I better go check that out. You go into your portal and now you're looking around for certain words 
and you know alarm bells are going off. You have to make a copy of those words and you know just do a copy and paste and say, okay, what the heck is this? So that you can pull it out and make sure you can when your doctor does call you because you want to email the doctor or nurse right there on your portal because it's the fastest way to get to them and say, hey, I see my results are in. Can you please call me? And then in the meantime, of course, most people are normal and they're going to go in and start doing the search. Do the search using the words from your portal and start to understand it. But also understand, likely not confirmed yet, it's often going to say suspicious of such and such. So don't panic until you actually do a lot more work. Yeah. What resources can help people really gather reliable information in that moment? So at that moment, especially if it's a cancer diagnosis, when you go in and start looking at the sites, like once you put those words in, look at a .org. And typically you want to look at the first sites that show up. So it's going to be cancer.org, cancer.net, and cancer.gov. Any of those three are super helpful. What happens over time is you may, when you do these searches, also see a lot of hospitals show up. And sponsored. It's not a negative. sponsored anytime you search anything. Yes, yes. Just be aware that, you know, hospitals are businesses. They want to attract patients right then and there to that hospital. But you don't know yet that that hospital is the best hospital for your cancer. So just wait. Stay focused on the websites we give you. You can look for a disease foundation if you feel strongly that you're moving into a specific form of cancer and start talking with them. But over time, that's what's going to give you the best information on which hospital, academic center, or medical center is going to be the best for you. Step two, meet the specialists. Why is it important to assemble the right team of specialists when you're battling cancer? This is your first intro to saying WTF, like what the heck with this field? Because it can be that your internist or your OBGYN or a certain type of doctor is seeing something suspicious. And now they're moving you on to, again, confirm what they think might be going on. So if it's breast cancer, for example, they're going to refer you to a surgical oncologist. But now you're talking to the surgical oncologist and they're going to do a biopsy, but then they're going to talk to you about seeing the medical oncologist and the radiation oncologist. You have to start to understand the lingo. An oncologist is not an oncologist. There are so many kinds of them. And so you have to know surgical oncologists do surgery. They're going to do biopsies and they're going to remove the tumor. A medical oncologist deals with the drugs and the diagnostics and things like that. So they don't do surgery. So they're going to be looking more at new drugs, clinical trials for you. But all these doctors have to work together with you to decide what is going to be best for you. And trying to get them coordinated, Hmm. it's really hard. It's really, really hard. So that's where you start to meet them. You may not at this point, this is still early, so you haven't necessarily decided on your long-term team yet, but you're eyeing, at this point, you should be eyeing everybody that you're going and you're being told to see to confirm your diagnosis. You should be eyeing them to think, do I feel comfortable here? Do I like this doctor? Do I like the way they're treating me? Do I like the office staff? Was this easy for me to get to? Yeah, those and are really Ask them the right important. questions. How many patients like me do you see? Yeah, and how many of these surgeries have you performed successfully? Yeah. Yeah, they I mean, have to be 
really like what happens is a lot of people will say, oh, um, everybody should go to Memorial Sloan Kettering. MSK is a great cancer center, but it's not great at every cancer. It's really good at some cancers. MD Anderson's really good at some cancers. Mount Sinai is really good at some cancers. So you have to know which centers are really good for your specific cancer. How do you go about figuring that out? That you can find out by going to the American Society of Clinical Oncology or going to the American Society of Hematology. They have big annual meetings every year. This is a huge lifesaver. Um, so when they're going out, it's not like you have to sit there and study every abstract. It's just that whenever those meetings are happening once a year, they always do like video updates coming out of it. And so you'll see who are the doctors that are speaking on your particular disease at those meetings. And you also want to make sure your doctors are actually going to these meetings or are part of them because mm. it means that they're staying up to snuff on all the latest treatments. Really but the, um, the disease foundations... A lot of the organizations and websites that we talk about know who the best doctors are by the type of cancer. So it's key to know who's going to those meetings because whoever's yeah. speaking at those is the top. Yes. Because and they wouldn't anybody, have them anybody who's publishing for those meetings is typically a great translational researcher or clinical person, very focused on the disease. And then the other trick to that, if you really want to get technical, but this is a lot is who's first author on the publication and who's last author. Those first and last names on publications mean that they're doing a lot of the work on the publication itself. So the so first name on shaker. it and the last name? Yeah, one is doing all, a lot of the work and the other is kind of mentoring. Okay, so if you see something on PubMed? Yes. You're looking, oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and those are your people that are doing a lot of the high science. It just means that they're very up to speed on what's working in that field. But, you know, a lot of times you're gonna get a cancer and it, it may have a standard of care and it's not that hard to treat. Like in myeloma now, if you get myeloma, we're going to give you four drugs. It's a standard of care and almost any hospital can do that for you. Wow. So it just depends on what you have. Yeah. And that's why I say everybody's different and why you wanna to talk to, you know, again, the National Cancer Institute or ASCO or the Disease Foundations to make sure you understand what to do. What qualities or expertise do you look for in your specialists and in your doctors? So I look for an intensity to stay current, like that they are going to these meetings, that they have, um, they don't have to have relations with the pharmaceutical companies, they just have to know where all the clinical trials are happening. And I also look for someone who's really comfortable with a team effort. So for example, even though I was being treated at Dana-Farber or Ken Anderson was overseeing my care, I had a great local oncologist 15 minutes from the house here. And the reason I picked him was because he was not intimidated by Dana-Farber. He had great training himself at Hopkins. He had a lot of confidence as a hematologist oncologist. And I felt like he was a great sounding board for me. So it was wonderful. He was convenient. He was close by. It was a good hospital. Um, and he worked beautifully with the academic center. That's really what you want. If you can get a great community team that can execute your care, but you have a great academic that they're working with who's staying super current on the new drugs, 
That's the best scenario. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, dot com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. So how does that work? I've never actually heard of that before. In fact, oh, I feel like my best friend did that back east in Boston. They do kind of stuff like that. Um, I've never really heard medical care being good and convenient. And so oh, yeah, that's how so did funny. you make that happen? It can, well, it, I may, you know, I was very fortunate and that the local hospital is good, but, and you read this in the book too. Like when I went to this community center, the first hematologist oncologist I saw, I was like, this is not cutting it for me. You know, he was way too laid back for me, not nearly as intense as what I was looking for. And I tell the story in the book, like I was leaving and I didn't know what to do. And one of the nurses said to me how to go. And I said, I I don't think it went well. And then she said, okay, you need to schedule with this doctor. So sometimes you just have to switch to a doctor that you think is more type A like you or whatever you're looking for. 
But you also always want to say when you're sitting there at that hospital and now you're trying to get your disease confirmed or you're trying to get maybe this is your long-term team, you want to say, who else do you work with? How comfortable are you working with an academic doctor? And if they're not, that's a negative. Like doctors need to be able to work with other doctors and they can't be intimidated by that or they can't worry that they're going to lose the patient. You know, they have to be able to say, no, this is fine. We, we're, we're very happy to work in a team So effort. what's the step? You go to Dana-Farber, for example, which is the academic hospital, mm-hmm. and you get diagnosed, you meet with, you know, the top doctor there, and you guys come up with a plan, and you say to them, I want to be able to do my treatments close to home. Do yeah. you, Can you refer a facility, a clinic near my home that you can work with or that you do work with? Is that how you did it? You can do it either way. It could be that you go to the community and you meet somebody local in the community who's helping you and you say, I'd really love to get a second opinion. And I'd love to get one at an academic center that specializes in my cancer. Where do you think I should go? And they, you know, here they might say Yale or Mount Sinai or Dana-Farber. And so, and sometimes they'll have a relationship with them. Like our local hospital here at Stanford, Connecticut has a relationship with Dana-Farber. They'll literally give you a second opinion. You can call from there. Um, so a lot of that happens too. And then the other way it can happen is that somehow you went to an academic center first, you got there first, and now you're saying to them, now I'd love somebody local to help with my care because you don't want to be, you know, driving two hours or three hours up to Dana-Farber if there's a hospital 15 minutes that can just do the regular administration of any drugs that you need. And, um, and many, many times the academic centers already have these relationships. This is happening all the time. Yeah. So they'll give you who they already work with. And it, it tends to be really thoughtful and helpful. Well, I'll tell you, even just hearing my my best friend's journey through breast cancer, she went to um, a smaller clinic as well. But I think her main care was at Dana-Farber too. It sounded pleasant. Yeah. And, and I know when you go to the bigger hospitals, I mean, really, it's just a lot of hustle and bustle and the parking and the this and the that. It's like, you really need to have as peaceful as an ex- of an experience as possible when you're dealing with cancer and all the stressors that you have in your life. Um, I'll tell you, for me, I've never experienced that part. We did it all, you know, everything is far in LA. So unfortunately, I don't know if there was a clinic near us that we could have used for my mom. But, um, but I think that's really, really key advice. And I'm grateful that you shared that because that's a a new thing I'm putting in my tool belt too. Well, you know, the cancer centers that they're different. I will tell you, Dana-Farber is the master of a really nice environment. You know, you, they make everything easy from the parking and valet service. It's, it's just a very warm, thoughtful environment. Get into New York City you know, because hmm. for my breast cancer, I would go to Mount Sinai. Great doctors, great place, but it's a, it's busy, it's crazy, and so, you know, you have to say, okay, what am I willing to tolerate for the doctors that I want to see? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little more work. Um, and then again, you you have to follow. Like right now, United Healthcare and Mount Sinai are at odds. So does that mean, you know, coverage is not going to be great? You have to be on your game, watching all these things at all times. Step three, rethink what matters. How Mm -hmm. can a cancer diagnosis prompt individuals to reassess their priorities and perspectives on their life? Yes. So this came from reading my journals because um, 
and which is why I have the sunflower on the front of the book. Maria, this is funny. This is the actual first journal I started writing in. Aww. And you as a as a new mom can relate to this. Inside because you know, the first thing I'm writing is to Nicole. She's 18 months old and I'm I know I'm dying. And inside are like the notes and everything that fell out when I went back to read these journals. So the beauty for me was I wanted to leave something for Nicole. And so for me to do that, I just started writing. I'm not like a big journal person. It's not something I did hysterically, but I mean, historically. So I took the journal and I started writing. And it really did tell me what mattered to me. Because what I was writing to her was really what was matter mattering to me a lot. I could tell I didn't want to leave her alone. And I think part of that was... Um, I had an identical twin. I always had a sidekick. I always had somebody near me. I didn't want to say it out loud. Like I thought people would think I was crazy. You have a fatal disease. You're going to die in three years and you want to have another child. Like that's absurd. It's almost not right. And I didn't want to say it out loud. So I wrote it in the journal. Wow. And I feel like that's where you have to be super honest with yourself and Never in your life, except when you read something in a portal and all of a sudden you freeze and your stomach is in a knot and your body is reacting. Do you realize you're really scared of something right now? And you're not sure why you're scared. Are you scared because you're fearful of the disease, what it's going to do, the burden you're going to be? You didn't leave a legacy. You missed doing X, Y, or Z. Like This is never going to happen to you again. And so people just skip over it. And what I'm saying is don't take it. You don't have to write a whole journal. Just take five minutes to write down what you're really thinking. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen again. I'm too lazy to write. I do videos. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you can, and you can do it on your phone. Yeah. yeah. Like whatever works. I have so many person, video diaries. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, and I say to everybody, I have 26 of these journals. I don't know if my kids will ever read them. Yeah. <laughs> but at least they became super helpful in other ways. <laughs> uh, is your daughter grateful that she has a sibling now? I'm curious. Yes. And they, it's so funny. They are so close. Aww. So, so close. That's amazing. Yeah. There are many times I just think to myself, thank God I did it. Wow. Yeah. You are brave. Yeah. Uh, strategies for maintaining a positive mindset through uh, these really tough times. Yeah. So this is where you rely a lot on your family and your friends and you just have to stay focused on what are you going to get through what's important in the day and celebrate those moments and don't be so hard on yourself because you're going to wake up and it's going to seem tough but one foot in front of the other and just keep moving and and let your friends help you you know in the book i talk about you know the band of eight that you know really helped me through all of both of my cancers they've been with me for such a long time but what a gift i had with them but you know in the in-between times you know many things happened to them and you know my joy was being helpful where i could be step four make your action plan yeah so once you've written down kind of you know what i was going over these are your needs and these are your wants and they're two very different things from um, the last segment that we did now you've got to write it down and then you've got to decide who can help you with it. And you're going to ask those people to help you. You know, if you need help with your children at school, odds are there's another mom at that school that's very willing to help you and it's not going to take her 
you know, a lot of extra time just to drop your child off, or if they're in a sport and there's somebody else on that team. Like these are all things that people are really happy to do. Just be specific and ask them. And a lot of times people will volunteer and then you can ask them, what would you, what do you feel like you'd like to do with me? You know, some people love to cook. Others don't like yeah. use those resources wisely. Yeah. I, I know that when I was delegating or making my action plan, um, I knew that the things that made me nuts were the ones I had to delegate and the yes. pills made me nuts. I couldn't get them yeah. right. Kathy, I'm a bright girl. I could not get them right. I was very stressed about them. And so I delegated that out. And yeah. so I think, you know, there's, there's a list of things that have to be done. It's like, maybe there's people who can pinch hit and take you to your appointment. Or, right. you know, for me, it was like, who can help me, you know, spend some time with my mom, like some of my friends would mm -hmm. come and they would do art projects with her. And, you know, just make her have some social activities in yes. the calendar. And so there's so many things that when you're making your action plan that you have to think about, mm -hmm. like you said, it's wants and needs wants for your patient, like I want my mom to have social activities, I want um, someone who can help or I need someone who can help me with the pills, I, I would love someone to help me do some research, you know, what are the yeah. new clinical trials out there, or you could also have someone research alternative therapies like what could be great and so yeah. if you start to delegate some of these things and you know there there's always we always have an array of people in our lives yeah. that are good at all different things thank god and so i i was pretty good about doing it i'm sure i could have been better but i did delegate things out to those people and it really helps so much and also it gives everybody on the in, in your periphery, a purpose in, in, in this experience so they feel like they can help. Yes, exactly. And you're smart. You were very smart to think, what is it I don't like to do? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, just adding more stress in my life because you're, you're right. Somebody else might want to take that on. Yeah. As a first time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Okay, step five, get the right team. How can yes. a patient build a strong support team? to help them navigate their cancer journey. Yeah, so this is the part where you've now been through the confirmatory process. You know what you have. You know specifically what you have because you know earlier on in in the part 1 of the book, you're you're just meeting all these medical and surgical oncologists. Now you're figuring out who's who's your guy, who's your lead guy. And so this really does come back to what kind of treatment do you want? Do you want to be at a place where they're doing translational research or do you want to be at a place closer to home? So this is where I explain to people the difference between a community center 
an academic center, which is a teaching hospital, and then an NCI designated cancer center, of which I think there's 72 now. And so they're all different and it's okay. What you pick is what's right by you. I just want patients to know what you're walking into. And again, like the discussion we had earlier, if you can be treated at a community hospital, but you have an academic lead, that's a great way to go. Okay. What um, Are there specific organizations or resources that you recommend for patients when they're looking for their right team? Yes. So again, I would still go to the same sites that I mentioned before, the NCI, ASCO, American Cancer Society. But then I would also go to the disease foundations and ask them what their recommendations are. And you can finally do, and and this gets a little bit trickier, but you can do the searches on PubMed and say, just put in the dates of the more recent years and see who's publishing and start to get a better feel of that too. Yeah. I got really cozy reading PubMed for my mom. So you go to (laughs) pubmed.gov, I believe it is, and you can look up glioblastoma or, you know, neuroendocrine tumor, and you can read up on the latest. I mean, it's just listen, most of it is hieroglyphics. Your, your brain has to start getting trained to understand some of yes. these, these things. And the more you do it, the more it will. Um, but it's, it's just healthy, I think, as well, just to be kind of looking at that. Um, I know that's what I was doing. Okay, step six, get the right tests. Why is it important for patients to advocate for the right tests during their treatment? Because shouldn't they just give us the right tests? They should, but insurance companies don't always do that. So you, you, when you go into the hospital they'll or the cancer center, they'll do the standard test. So we all know the standard blood tests that you get, metabolic tests, is your liver functioning. Over time, they'll do some imaging testing. But when you start to get to the tests that are more focused on precision medicine, so genomic testing, biomarker testing, immune profiling, those are not always covered by insurance. And so you have to go in and ask for it. If insurance isn't giving it to you, you want the doctor to go to bat for you. You want them to call the insurance company and say why this is absolutely necessary and do not give up. And another resource that we give in the book is the National Patient Advocate Foundation. They do a nice job of stepping in too if there are things that you're just not getting from the the, um, insurance companies that you need. Got it. By the way, friends, everything she's talking about is in her book, Fatal to Fearless. So um, she really spells it out in here. So I highly recommend you get the book. This is just grazing everything, but she goes into the nitty gritty. Um, And if some of these organizations you are like, wait, what did she just say? It's all in here. Um, What are some of the common tests and maybe uncommon tests that they should really be focusing on? So I would say from for oncology specifically, it really is biomarker testing. For example, in lung cancer, the treatments now are very fine-tuned to what kind of lung cancer you have. So you really want to be aware of that. In the genomic testing, again, there's two types of genomic testing. One is, do you have the BRCA gene in breast cancer, ovarian cancer, or prostate cancer? And the reason that's important is because the BRCA gene can be moving from one generation to the next generation. It's actually what's called germline testing. But then there's a second type of genomic testing, which is your tumor has a specific genomic aberration. That's where you and I were talking about, I have a translocation or deletion of a chromosome or something like that. You want to know that because it could impact which targeted therapy you get. 
immune profiling is just starting to happen. And immune profiling is happening because, again, immune drugs have targets like BCMA in multiple myeloma. So we're really trying to understand the immune system of cancer patients and understand which drugs are working and why. So again, lots of testing in that space too. Have you, by the way, I had the medical medium on and he talked about how they take too much blood from us. Have you heard about that at all? No. Interesting. He said that, and you know, he, he gets these downloads and then like 10 years later, everyone's like, Oh, they're taking too much blood. And then we're like, we thought he was crazy when he first said it. Um, apparently in your, in, in Europe, they admit to taking extra blood from patients and they do research on them yeah. here. They don't really tell us what they do with it. Right. So his theory or what he says is that they take too much blood and when you're already sick, your immune system is in your blood and now you're giving so much of it up and now your bone mm. marrow has to produce so much more blood yeah. apparently and it's really, really hard to reproduce it. So if you haven't listened to that episode, and by the way, I hope it's already up when this airs, forgive me if it isn't, it's coming soon if it isn't, but listen to that episode with the medical medium because... I'm changing the way I do my blood work now. Yeah. Now I'm telling my doctor to tell them that they are only taking, you know, half the vials, let's say, because if they do a thyroid panel on us, they're going to take all these vials. They do it on a baby. They take nothing. Right. And so why could they do it for them and not for us? It is possible. So I'm having them fill my vials a quarter of the way now. Just a little hot tip. Interesting. I will say that this is very true on tissue samples. Like, the samples are so precious. You know, you and I had this conversation on another podcast we did. They're, they're so precious. So for myeloma or, or breast cancer, when you go in and you're getting these samples, again, surgeons don't want to have to keep going in and grabbing tumor. It's not what they like to do. I mean, they have to do it, but, but now you've got it and they really want to study that. That is what the scientists are studying. In myeloma, it's easy, just it's not easy or fun, but you do a bone marrow biopsy or aspirate. And that's what the researchers are studying. The trick to that is the best sample in myeloma, for example, is the first pull, the first aspirate. And so you want to make sure that that aspirate is being used for the diagnosis for the patient, not for research testing. You are right. In academic medical centers, they do really well by publishing great pieces on research. And in order for them to do the research, they have to have tissue and samples. So it makes sense that all of this is happening. Yeah. It's okay. You want them to be doing tons and tons of research, but you want to make sure you're being diagnosed properly and that your tissue and blood are being used to help you the most. Yes, 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 yes. Um, okay, step seven, get the right treatments. How can we make informed decisions about our treatment options? The most important thing you can do is understand that there may be a standard of care in your disease, which is always good to know. Like, like I said to you in multiple myeloma, we start with a four drug regimen. And that's important to know because that was something new that came out a while back and the academic centers had started doing it. Again, they had done some trials and they realized these four drugs were better than three drugs. But it takes time for that four drug regimen to go all the way out to the community and the rural community and everybody out there. It just takes time for the message to get out to everybody. So we always say, you should know, odds are you wanna be on a four drug regimen in myeloma. 
The place that we can send people to know standard of care is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, NCCN. And it basically tells you what insurance companies are covering, which is always standard of care. That's good to know. At least you start there. I want to make sure you're getting that at a minimum. Then you want to know, okay, based off of going to the websites that we recommend, what are some of the new treatment options they're providing? And again, like even coming out of ASH or ASCO or the other groups, they always do these great webinars. I mean, they're half an hour long and they give you a full overview of what's going on in the disease. Listen in and know what's going on because something could be in a phase three test and very close to you and you want to get access to it. So that's a big part of the process is go to NCCN, talk to the really strong trusted groups, but also be aware of what's coming down the pike in clinical trials. Got it. Um, are there alternative therapies or complementary therapies that you have found helpful during your treatments? So for me, I have not done that. I've stayed true to the drugs I've been on. Um, and I've just done that. You and I have had this conversation before because um, everybody asks me this question, like, what else have you done? And you and I are similar. Like, I have always eaten healthy. I always have. And every day I, well, not now because I tore my ACL, but every day I go out for a walk or a run in nature with the dogs and it just it just gets my mind where it needs to be and every night no matter i try so hard to make sure i get eight hours of sleep and so those are the things that have worked really well for me as long as i'm feeling well i haven't really had the need to do anything in addition but i do understand how that can be helpful to a lot of other patients okay step eight know the right trial I yes. love this because so I this is, feel like these are so hard. I feel like we're <laughs> guinea pigs and they scare me so much. So there's a lot of different trials. There are the trials that the pharmaceutical companies are doing to get their drugs approved. And those are really helpful because we want to be on, you know, highly effective drugs. And then there are trials that are done by the academic centers where they may be trying to answer a question like, you know, what combination should we be using or how should we sequence that drug or things like that. So, you know, all these trials are really important. The question becomes, and the thing that patients have to know is a phase one trial is much earlier than a phase two or a phase three. In a phase one trial, when you go into clinicaltrials.gov and that's what you start seeing, they're still trying to figure out the dose. So you could very easily end up on a very low dose of a drug that may not be effective. And that's probably not where you wanna go if you're a patient that still has a lot of options left open to you. If you're relapsed refractory and you're out of options, then indeed you, you might wanna do that. So you have to be aware of phase one, phase two, phase three, and you have to be aware of inclusion and exclusion criteria. You know, Are you going to be able to get into that study or not? because sometimes they can be super strict on who they're letting in or not. Yeah, and then it's like finally, you can't be in if you've done this treatment or you can't be in if you've yes, done that. Yes, right. Or if, you're, if you have kidney problems or you know other things going on. And then the last thing is you do want to know where is the trial happening? Is it you know at a site near you? And who's the principal investigator? Because usually the, the principal investigator means that that's a pretty smart person working in that disease and could be a good name for you. Okay. Step nine, reset. Again. Yeah. Okay. So 
a lot of what happens at this point is um, you're supposed to be done. You know, you ring the bell, you high five, and you're supposed to be super happy and everything's great. And for some patients that happens, it did not for me. I wanted it to happen. And then all of a sudden I found myself in this terrible depression, looking at my sister going, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Um, so you have to be aware that you feel like everybody wants you to move on and you're still scared and you're not ready and you're being really hard on yourself. So there's this reset part of just being kind to yourself. But then there's also this reset part of how did this impact everybody around you? Um, how did it impact your kids? And, you know, for me, for example, Nicole was in middle school when I was doing my stem cell transplant. I didn't realize the toll it took on her. Like that's a tough time anyway, you know, for kids and girls. And, you know, she couldn't have sleepovers. She couldn't have friends over. She didn't want to stay out late. She felt like she had to be the perfect child because, you know, she just didn't want to disrupt anything. David was in third grade. So well, and you're immune he, compromised. That's why she can't have people. over. Yeah, she couldn't. Yeah. I mean, she was just nervous. What if she got me sick? Um, David was in third grade. So he was kind of oblivious to the whole thing. He didn't really know what was going on. And so it really shows you the impact that these diseases have on different ages of your children. And look, there's no good time. You can't control when you're going to do a stem cell transplant or when you get cancer. But you do have to be aware that some ages are tougher than other ages. And I do wish that I had been home more for Nicole, to be honest with you. I think these were really tough times for her. It's so hard. It's just too hard to be perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, before we get to step 10, I just have to mention our amazing supporters on this end. Um, eHarmony, friends, for any single Heal Squad uh, supporters out there listening who are looking for their partner in life, especially through these hard times that we're discussing now, eHarmony has an amazing compatibility quiz that may just be the place to find your life partner. With eHarmony's compatibility quiz, you'll embark on a remarkable adventure of self-discovery that'll reveal your true personality traits. That's always really nice. It'll help you meet individuals who appreciate and adore the real you, which is the key. Uh, also Macy's, as you guys know, I love Macy's. I worked there when I was a teen and was that annoying fragrance spritzer to all of you. Uh, if you remember me, remember me, just, you know, send me a tweet so I can say hi. Um, but for me, Macy's has been really, really helpful in so many ways because I create that curated list for you guys, macy's.com forward slash heel squad. It's really my to buy list. <laughs> it's like, I know I'm going to need some gifts down the line. So here are some gift ideas. Here are some things for the house I'm looking and coveting right now. Here's some fashion I love. But also one of the other things I love about Macy's is they offer a free personal stylist. So if you need help with your wardrobe, you need help with an upcoming event, utilize their free personal stylist. They are amazing and they'll work within your budget, they'll work with your closet, they'll work with everything. So use Macy's for their free personal stylist and, uh, and look great so you can feel great because when you feel great, it's everything. All right. Step 10, recognize your caregivers. I love that this is step 10. How can we as patients express gratitude and support for our caregivers? So interesting. Caregivers don't ask for much. They really don't. They want you to notice what they're doing for you. And they just want you to say thank you. That's all they're looking for. It can be a nice note. It can be being there for them when they need you. I think that's a real gift in life. 
But so many times I, I found this, Maria, when I was reading back on my journals, like I was so focused on everything that I was trying to get done and, you know, juggling the cancer, which is a full-time job with the kids and everything else that I really forgot to say thank you to Paul, my sister, the people that were really there helping me left and right. And it would have got me a lot further if that gratitude had been clear. Wow. Step 11, never miss a screening. Yeah. Oh, Why you is and me it both, important? Right? Yeah. So like, the, it's so interesting how the book goes in a full cycle from, you know, the moment you get diagnosed and now I'm moving from diagnosis to treatment to remission. And then the most important part becomes, okay, now I really need to be on my game because I have a compromised immune system from the stem cell transplant. And now I'm learning that I could be at higher risk of secondary cancer. So there's two issues here. One is secondary cancers, which means I was at higher risk because I had radiation. So that's kind of like a secondary issue to my multiple myeloma leading to my breast cancer. But there's another piece called second cancers, which means I'm now 65, I'm getting older, which means cancer just happens to older people. So odds of getting breast cancer, prostate cancer, and others increases. And I think it's 20% of cancer patients have two cancers. And it, it's just the way it works. So you really do want to get so screened cruel. so that you can find anything early. And that's for the patient themselves. But I say the same thing to my kids now. Like, you know, Nicole and David and their their cousins will all say, like, we do not have great genes in this family at all. And I say, nope, we don't. And that's why you're with a really good internist, primary care doctor, never miss your physical, never miss vaccines, never miss any of these things. And as a result, I have to say they're really, really good about their health care. And they have lots of conversations with their internists about when do they, when does Nicole need to get start getting mammograms and things like this. So I think just being really open about everything going on in the family history is critical. Trying not to scare your kids and then getting to a really good primary care is important. How do you keep it all organized? Well, that part was easy. Honestly, God, once I found a great primary care, um, I could see her, her, she was so good. Like they close quickly because their, their practices fill up. And so I got them in right away. I was like, okay, you guys, we're going. Like you got to get in there. That part's easy. And I will say, thank good Godness, they, they still come out and see her, get their physicals done and talk to her all the time. So that part's easy. I think the other pieces, you know, they're adults now. So I don't have to, you know, it's a lot easier now than it was before. They have to take ownership of their own health care. Mm -hmm. I'm always there to help them, remind them of things, but they have to take ownership of it too. Step 12, protect your family. How can people take steps to protect their family uh, yeah. from the so, impact? Uh, prevention is the top way to go. Like the best way to deal with cancer is not to get it. And it always surprises me when I go in and read the statistics, like I think it's 42% of cancers could be prevented. And that means you're not smoking, you're not sitting in the sun, you're reducing alcohol, you have the right diet, you're getting the right um, vaccinations. And again, you're doing the right kinds of screenings, all of those things, you have to set the tone in your family that all of these things are critically important. And especially if you're at a high risk situation, you want them to know. What advice do you have for patients when they're communicating with their family members about their cancer journey? 
So I think that, especially for moms and their kids, the one thing I learned when I was talking to Nicole and David at different ages was be honest, but don't answer any more than they're asking. So tell them straight, but let them ask the questions and you answer the questions because we tend to go overboard and start talking and it just scares them in a way that they don't need to be scared at all. And I think that was really true. Now, when I was dealing with the breast cancer side, again, let them decide how they want to be your caregivers. Like I was shocked at the roles that everybody decided to take. Nicole was, she just sat and did all the research on everything that I would ever need as a breast cancer patient, right down to like what I could wear to the hospital, what I was going to need because the seatbelt was going to hurt a lot when I was driving home. Like she thought of everything. And for David, my son, I mean, he came home, he and his girlfriend cooked because they know I'm a terrible cook. So they just cook because they knew I'd end up getting too thin. We have all these, unlike you, we have all these dogs. I couldn't walk the dogs. And, you know, my husband likes the dog, doesn't love the dog. So like David took them and just, they just take their jobs and they take it seriously. And they're there for you. And I think that's the greatest gift is like, just be honest and say, I feel great. I'm doing fine. And when these infections were going on with my breast cancer and it got to be a really long process, all you can say to them is, I'm so frustrated. I'm I'm really, really frustrated by this. And I'm sorry, it just keeps dragging out. And I keep dragging our family into another 18 months of cancer. And I'm sorry. And just say that. Like I end the book, like you can say, thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. These things, like, we just don't recognize how important it is. And I was saying this to somebody else, like, for all of these decades of work I've done in oncology, I don't know how many searches I've done on cancer. I've never once did a search on relationships. Not once. I'm sure you have. Like, you're good at this. I never did. I haven't, no. And so all of a sudden, I'm reading these journals and thinking, what's wrong with me? Like, why was I not focused on this more? And then I really did try to study it to say, okay, how can I be more patient? How can I be more thoughtful? How can I make sure I'm paying attention to what they need, not just what the cancer is doing to us? And I think it makes you much more aware of what your relationship should look like, whether it's your family or your friends. And I think it, it does make you a better person. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's no roadmap for this stuff. So all we know is You get the diagnosis, you have to deal with the emotional part of it, and then you have to actually do the work and survive. And so there's no, no one telling us about, oh, you know, this is how you should talk to your family. This is how you should do this. You know, so by the way, maybe you went through all of that so that you could share that with us because it's impacting me right now and reminding me of how I need to be considerate and, um, and, and think about this stuff in the future. I do have to say, Kathy, I think we need to get you listening to Heal Squad more because I know you're very science-based. I am. (laughs) And know that, you know, when you said you have to have faith, I'm like, you know, my faith is a little different. My faith is less in science and more in our abilities to heal and in, and, and in a higher power, whatever that higher power is in the journey that we're supposed to take. But I want, I want you and your kids to maybe look into a little Dr. Joe, because do you meditate? No, I'm so bad. Okay, but Dr. Joe, you're going to love. So I know my patients, so I know what to to prescribe. I'm not going to give you the woo-woo shit. Dr. Joe (laughs) is science-based. His stuff is scientifically backed. 
He teaches you about quantum physics and the brain, and he will change the way you speak and the thoughts you think so that your reality changes because your thoughts become things. So when you say we have really bad genes in our family, you're going to have really bad genes in your family. Yeah. If you, if you phrase things differently, you'll have different outcomes. It's really powerful when you look into the science of the mind and how capable we are of bringing to reality our thoughts and, and what we think our reality is. And so I want you to never have another incident again. And I think your, your next part of your journey really should incorporate a little of this. You know, it's so funny because maybe that is the next part because you're so right. Like the entire part of my life was, okay, we need to cure this, these diseases. We need to cure cancer. That's all I'm going to do is I'm going to cure cancer, cure cancer. And then all of a sudden writing the book was cathartic for me because I realized that was great and it was lovely and it was a wonderful purpose, but I wasn't living in the moment and living my life. And so that became the last two years of, it did change me a lot, just studying the relationship side, what was I doing and all those things. So maybe this is phase three for yeah. me, Maria. Maybe it's moving myself I think to so, an even because, better place. Because I'll yeah. tell you, like when I talk about you, I tear because you're such a gangster. Like you, you know, you were in the pharmaceutical world, but you literally took on multiple myeloma and have literally started this foundation, saved your life, saved countless others. And you are ferocious and we need people like you. And you did really put yourself at high risk to, Mm -hmm. to do all of this because it, it takes so much out of you to be able to do all of this. So we need you, but now we need you longer. And I think that, what got you to Egypt won't get you to the promised land. So sometimes we have to change our game a little bit. And yeah. I feel like it would be really, really great to to have you just look into Dr. Joe a little bit. Okay, I promise. And I think it will bring you another level of healing that is going to then spread to the family and then they'll all end up doing it too. It's, it's, That's good. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> so you're going to do Dr. Joe Dispenza. All right. His, okay. his course I mean- online is called The Formula. You're okay. going to love it. But in the meantime, I love you and I love your book, Fatal of Fearless. I think that this is a must read for everyone. I don't say that often, guys. Um, I really don't bring anybody on here that I don't love and their books I always love. But this is literally like a Bible for your journey through cancer. And I really, really think that if if you love yourself and you love others, you'll have to get yourself a copy. So Kathy, as always, such a pleasure. I love you. Thank you for all you do for everybody. So fun. (laughs) All right, Hill Squad. I hope that these two parts were helpful to you and maybe are accelerating your journey to be prepared for hopefully nothing. But if something was to happen down the line with you or your family members or your friends, you now have more knowledge and more education armed in your tool belt and ready to go. Um, In the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. 
Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.